Dan Bongino. I have an obligation to come on the air with data and material and research. I can't just say, trade stinks. Thanks for tuning in. The Dan Bongino Show. Well, let's jump right in because we have no time for nonsense. Get ready to hear the truth about America. When I was a young man, I don't remember it being sexy to want to allow a nanny state to control my life. On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Renegade Republic of Dan Bongino. Producer Joe, how are you today? Man, I'm doing well. All set, ready to go. I gotta move this mic. I don't know what's going on here. I'm a little uh, discombobulated today. Got my uh, <laughs> my stuff all over. I was doing a uh, an interesting Skype call. I had a, a fascinating proposal that was sent to me over the weekend. So uh, hmm. yeah, things just taken off, going uh, going crazy for me lately. But a lot of news over the weekend. And uh, thank you for all the emails about the Friday show, which I had asked you for feedback on because it was slightly uh, I was slightly irritated about the Obamacare thing, and it was kind of a uh, all over, but I thought I put some salient points out there. But there was one thing I forgot, which I want to address today about the Obamacare repeal uh, or lack of repeal and the replacement plan that I want to address today. Because what I don't like to do, Joe, on the show is to leave people without solutions. So right. a couple things I wanted to get to on that. All right. Today's show brought to you by our buddies at Birch Gold. Hey, I just read a story. It's up on Drudge now about the International Bank of uh, the Bank of International Settlements, uh, settlements the B.I.S., Given a big warning out there that, and folks, take this very seriously. I brought this up quite a bit that inflation sitting right around the corner. There's trillions of dollars internationally sitting within banks. It's going to make its way out into the economy and eventually it's going to lead to some form of inflation. And we hope it's not the uh, explosive kind that's very difficult to control. But the reason I bring this up is, you know, volatility in your income stream in the future is a big problem. I like income security. That's why I like Birch Gold. These are my guys over there. They can tell you if you go to their website, birchgold.com, B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash Dan, they will give you a 16-page guide and show you how you can move your IRA or eligible 401k into one backed by precious metals, a historical store of wealth, precious metals, gold and silver. I love these guys. They actually sent me silver, five ounces of silver, which I always keep next to me at the desk to remind me to do these live reads so I don't <laughs> I don't forget. But these are really good guys. I spoke to them on the phone. They do a great job over there. Go check them out. You know, with inflation around the corner, you want to make Make sure that, listen, if the market's going up, that inflation isn't going up more because then you're losing money. All right. This is a A-plus rated company by the Better Business Bureau. Countless five-star reviews. Go check them out. With everything going on in China and this warning from the Bank of International Settlements, which I'll get to, saying, hey, inflation could smother growth in the future. You want to make sure your income stream in the future is secure. Go to birchgold.com slash Dan, B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash Dan. Request your free 16-page guide today. Okay, on how to move your uh, your money into an IRA backed by precious metals. So, one of the things I forgot to mention on uh, on the Friday show about Obamacare, one of the biggest problems I have with this entire thing, this replacement plan. Mm-hmm. By the way, people call. It's really annoying. If I don't pick up the second time, stop calling me. I'm doing my show. Sheesh. <laughs> this is like the second time this guy, I don't even know this number. It's driving me crazy. Uh, the income-related the income subsidies, which were a bedrock of Obamacare. So Obamacare, Joe, pre-Obamacare, if you were in the individual market, so you understand how this works. And Mm. when I mean the individual market, I mean, you're not on Medicaid. You're not a child on S-CHIP, the Child Health Insurance Program. You're not employer-based. Do you have employer-based coverage where you work? Uh, Yes, I do. So Joe has a plan um, where he works at the radio station. If you are not under one of those things, you were in what's called the individual market, meaning... You were an American citizen, Joe, 
mm-hmm. without insurance from the government or for a job, and you were buying insurance on your own. You were going to a website, whatever it may be, Blue Cross, and saying, I'm Joey Bag of Donuts. I need insurance, okay? Yep. The way Obamacare, the, well, let me give you pre-Obamacare, you were, you were on your own. You had to just go get insurance and pay for it. Now, post-Obamacare, what Obamacare instituted was an income-related subsidy where the government would give you money, which is ironic because it's your money, it's taxpayer money, to yeah. buy, oh my gosh, this is the third time, this is going to drive me crazy. Uh, you know what? They got the wrong time. I knew it. This I'm hmm. supposed to do a radio interview, and I got the mm-hmm. wrong time. I know it. I know that's who this is. Sorry, folks. I'm sorry to get distracted here, but this is driving me crazy. If you're going to tell me a time, it's Eastern time. I live on the Northeast. So what the, what the Obamacare thing did is Obamacare gave an income-related subsidy to people who were buying insurance in the individual market. All right. You would get a, a subsidy based on how much income you made. Now, I, personally... I think there was a better way to do this because we already had programs for the for the poor. And uh, this is driving me crazy. This is driving me. Th- Joe, don't cut this out because this is my life, folks. This is why on the Friday show I ask you for feedback. This this goes on all day with me. And by the way, this is why I had to like. For those of you who've seen me, I say this with no air of pretension at all. For those of you who seen me do TV and Fox and stuff like that. This is one of the reasons I've had to like cut down outside of cable and some other stuff and stuff because you have no life. No, I'm not kidding. You have <laughs> right, Joe. Why not call yeah, and complain? No, you're right. You have no life at all. There's got to be 500 radio stations and 60,000 bloggers in the country, whatever it is. And you, if you, if you agree to every single thing, you will literally never have a second on your own, as you can tell right now by the fact that I can't even do my own show without the phone going. It's driving me nuts. This is my show. <sighs> All right. Put, put the gun away. Yeah, seriously. For 40 <laughs> seconds wasted. I'm sorry, folks, but I again, this is a conversational show and unfortunately the conversation sometimes takes uh, Dan's life takes over. Now, the problem with this replacement bill to get to the point is rather than fixing these income related subsidies, Joe. Mm-hmm. Rather than this is ridiculous. This is driving me crazy. Uh, rather than fixing I'm turning my phone over so I can't even see it. Fixing these income-related subsidies, what it's adding, the Senate replacement bill, is it's adding age-related <laughs> subsidies as well. So now it's not just that you're getting a subsidy, a tax, your own taxpayer money back in the form of, you know, say you get you made $20,000 a year, you get X amount of money, 30000 X and a minus a little more. You know what I'm saying, Joe? It's yeah. also adding age-related mm-hmm. subsidies as well. So if you're older and you would require more Healthcare, because you're older and people who are older generally tend to be sicker just as a re- result of wear and tear and age. I mean, I'm figuring that now at 42 years old, it adds age related subsidies, too. So mm-hmm. whereas the House bill focused almost exclusively on age related subsidies, Joe, the Senate bill adds age related subsidies to income related subsidies, which is why eventually going to cost more. I didn't bring that up last week. And I should have because that's a real problem, folks, because it's when the government gives people money through a third party payer system. In other words, you pay money to the government in the form of taxes and the government gives that money back to you to buy something else. It only inflates the cost of what you're uh, in essence buying Mm -hmm. because it, it disconnects the consumer from the producer of the product. Third party payer systems, I've explained over and over, are always a mess. Because if you're, let's say you're paying into a tax pool, a, a pool of you know taxpayer funds into the federal government, into the treasury, 
And then the treasury is dispersing those funds to as a third party payer to doctors. So when you go to the doctor, they're paying, Joe, not you in some form, even though the subsidies are a little different. But this is the way Medicaid would work. Right. They're paying the doctor. You know, logically, your your take on the whole matter is a pretty simple one, right? Your take on the matter is, hey, I already paid to the treasury, so I'm going to take as much as I can back. Right. So it incentivizes you to go to the doctor more, even if you may not have gone to it if it was your own money coming out of your own pocket. All right. So that's that's a big problem with the bill. The age-related subsidies are, are getting tacked on to the income-related subsidies, which eventually are going to cost the American taxpayers a fortune. You, you know, you're, what is it, the Friedman, Milton Friedman uh, joke I, used to, I say all the time on the show is that, you know, the, the whole joke of government spending is you think your neighbors are paying for it, but they, your neighbors think the same thing. Like, you, you're all paying for everybody else's stuff, but you're paying for your stuff too. It's, it's, this is never going to lead to any kind of cost control. So here's a couple solutions. I've mentioned some of these before, but uh, solutions to the healthcare debacle we have in the country right now that I think would genuinely bend the cost curve down and institute more control over the market. Uh, here's number one: uh, full tax credit for for uh, doctors and hospitals that provide charity care. Full, not a tax deduction, a tax credit. Remember the difference between a deduction and a credit is this: if I make $100,000 a year and I have a $10,000 tax deduction, Joe. I deduct that from my income and I only pay taxes on $90,000. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. So Joe made 100000 a year working for uh, Conservative Review. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe we yeah, should. Would be, Everybody would be lobby Conservative Review for Joe. <laughs> uh, so if Joe is making $100,000 a year and Joe gets a tax deduction. Let's say he makes a $10,000 donation to charity and he gets a tax deduction. Uh-huh. Joe is only paying at that point income taxes on 90000 Now, the difference with a tax credit and why you want a tax credit, not a tax deduction, is if Joe has a $10,000 tax credit, will we fully credit him? for it. Joe pays the taxes on 100,000 and let's say his tax bill was $20,000. A tax credit means Joe gets to wipe a $10,000 tax credit. Joe gets to wipe 10,000 of that off. Gotcha. So, you know, listen, what that's a big deal because some tax deductions you're not going to get once you make a certain amount of money. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that because after a lot of these things like the AMT and a lot of this stuff goes away. So, you want a tax credit because you want to be able to wipe that out. Now, uh, give why not give doctors and hospitals a full tax credit for their charity care? This doesn't make any sense. I mean, think about the system we have now, which is absurd. Now, I know why the left is going to say, oh, my gosh, doctors and hospitals, these are really super rich people, and we're going to give them money. What do, you, what do you mean you're going to give them money? You're just going to let them keep their own money. But the irony, Joe, is you're giving them money now. You're giving them money now. You, the taxpayer, make no mistake, are giving those, and I'm, I say this with, horrible sarcasm, but to emphasize the silliness of the left, those evil rich doctors and hospitals, you're giving them your money now. The government pays for about 40% of health care. If the government pays, Joe, who's paying? You. We are. (laughs) You're paying. The government doesn't own a business. They just take. They're taking money from you and they're giving it to doctors and hospitals. So I got, here's a newsflash for you. Why not just let the doctors and hospitals keep their own money rather than you taking money from me to give to them? This is the dumbest system ever. Here's Hmm. how it it could work. And there's a number of different ways to implement this, but just a simple suggestion. You're a doctor. You're a perinatologist like my brother-in-law is. You do high-risk pregnancy delivery. So a, a woman who's lower income walks in, she's got cancer or whatever it may be, and, you know, God forbid... And she needs to deliver a baby, and it's going to be a high-risk delivery, right? 
She doesn't have the money to pay. You're a really high-profile perinatologist. You know, your rates are pretty high. The perinatologist gets a full tax credit for that service? Let's say this perinatologist, right, this high-risk OBGYN doctor mm-hmm. has a tax bill every year of like $200,000. I don't know what my brother-in-law pays in taxes, but I'll tell you right now, it's a lot. Say say it's two hundred. Say he gets a tax credit for that, and that's a $10,000 delivery. That's the market price, what he would charge everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. He gets to write off $10,000. Joe, I'll tell you right now, yeah. I'm out recruiting low-income folks to give them, to literally give them free stuff. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Joe. I mean, that makes sense. Sure. Seriously, if your tax bill, say you're making 100 k a year and you're at the high-end tax bracket, say you're in the 39.6 tax bracket, and state, federal, and local, forget deductions for a minute to make the math simple, you're paying- $40,000 in taxes, right? So, okay. you know, you're in a 40% tax rate. Again, I'm, I'm making the math really simple. Forget deductions for a minute. Joe makes 100K, he's paying 40,000. If someone said to you, Joe, you have a, a very good, uh, you know, a, a grasp of the podcasting arena, the, mm-hmm. uh, this, the, the audio sphere, we're going to cut a deal with you. The market value of your services, if you choose to give lower income people some audio engineering and get their podcasts on the air as like a social good, right. we'll let you get a tax credit for the full value of services. Now, Joe doesn't come cheap, but Joe's not overly expensive. Right. But Joe, one, Joe's a nice guy. He goes to church. He, he you know, it sings in church. He's volunteers yeah. for stuff. Joe's a good dude. But if you could volunteer and get an economic benefit out of it, even better. I mean, it's. It doesn't make Joe any worse of a guy because he gets some money back of his own money. By the way, the government's not giving him anything to let him keep his own money. If you could do that and cut your tax bill by like 10 or 20 grand a year, wouldn't you do that? Sure. It's very helpful. Yeah. But but liberals would say, oh, my God, you're giving Joe a tax cut. No, what the liberals would rather do is tax everybody else, steal their money. Then give that money to Joe through a social program for podcasters where tax money is given to people like Joe to give, quote, Joe, free services <laughs> to other people. Do you see the stupidity of this? Yeah. Imagine if you did this for hospitals and doctors. Full tax credits. Now, folks, I- I'm not naive here at all to the ramifications of this. There are going to be millionaire doctors. Oh, God forbid. Millionaire doctors and hospitals that are going to pay very little in taxes. But folks, you do you understand that right now you're paying more in taxes to give them your money when they could just keep their money themselves and let you off the hook? You may say, oh gosh, you know, then the doctors and hospitals wouldn't pay in for for services like the military and roads and bridges. Guys, they're paying in now, and then they're taking more from us. So if they're paying in $10, they're getting geometrically more money from us given to the Treasury to give to them. They're paying in, say, 10. They're probably getting 20 from us. How does that make sense? That actually takes $10 from the military. Does that make any sense to you? But, you know, liberals are obsessed with gaslighting. You remember gaslighting. I covered oh, yeah. this on a number of different shows where gaslighting is, it comes from the movie Gaslight. And it's the premise that if you repeat a lie often enough and you repeat it confidently, that People will start to believe the lie is fact, but you have to isolate people from the truth. Now, the the, the liberal media does this for the left, uh, the isolation part. The left does the lying and the media, but the media isolates people from the truth by guaranteeing exclusive coverage to leftist narratives. I mean, you need any proof mm-hmm. of this? They just had a thing on Fox a few minutes ago I was watching. The Loretta Lynch scandal that's developing now, this Senate investigation into Loretta Lynch's role in the Hillary email thing. Loretta Lynch was the former attorney general under Obama. Many of you know that. 
And there's an investigation brewing and a lot of word behind the scenes that she's in a world of trouble for some of the actions she took to make the Hillary email investigation go away. Yeah. There was just a thing on Fox. Zero minutes of coverage on some of the major networks. Zero. Not no coverage at all. Yet they'll cover the Trump Russia conspiracy theory X Files David Duchovny fairy tale. They'll cover that over and over. Again, gaslighting. It shows it isolates people from the truth. And you'll uh, bring up gaslighting because the leftist narrative will win the day if something like this were to happen. The leftist narrative will be this: rich millionaire doctors and hospitals, you know, you know, taking from the American citizen, not paying any taxes. Meanwhile, they'll never tell you the actual truth, which is yes, now they're paying taxes and they're taking more of your money in taxes because you're paying the government to pay them. But just because it's, you know, the liberals use the narrative, uh, the gaslighting uh, process to to instill a narrative into the American public doesn't mean it's true. And we should fight back. And, you know, every time I bring this up, I get a lot of feedback from doctors and hospitals uh, and people who work at hospitals who say, Dan, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I always give credit where credit is due, folks. I'm not trying to be like, hey, I this is all originated in the mind of Dan Bongino, but I haven't heard anyone else talk about this. I haven't. And if. Please, I'm begging you, correct me if I'm wrong. If you've seen any other think tanks or conservative thought leaders, send it over. I'm not trying to take credit for it. I just think it's a really common sense idea, Joe. Yeah, it sounds good to me. So, yeah, I mean, full yeah. tax credit for charity. Okay, that's number one. Number two, this one's been discussed often by a ton of different people. Full portability across state lines. It's just silly. We don't have a national market for insurance. If you could sell an insurance plan in West Virginia, you should be able to sell it in California. It's just ridiculous. Uh, that would create more competition. Competition always brings down prices for obvious reasons. You know, if Pepsi had a monopoly on the cola market, <laughs> they could basically charge whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. But they don't. They have to compete with Coca-Cola. And Joe, the... Uh, you know, one of the things about competition I think people frequently misunderstand from economic terms is you don't need 6,000 competitors in a market to bring down prices. I mean, the more competition can mean the better, but it doesn't always. You know, sometimes you just need two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, and I remember when I worked in um, Key Food in Forest Hills, New York, and sometimes I would help out in the soda aisle. You know, they'd be like, Danny, soda aisle. And I, no one ever called <laughs> me Danny, but those guys, my mom calls me Danny. That's about it. My wife, (laughs) sometimes my (laughs) wife calls me by my last name, which is hysterical. Bongino, which is kind of funny. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) but in the soda aisle, they used to have these sales. The Pepsi would go one week and Coke the next week and they would compete with each other. So the point I'm trying to make is literally you only need one other competitor to at least assist in driving down prices. Now, it can be helpful to get other ones in there. You could get RC Cola and other ones who come in and undercut. But Pepsi would do like 99 cents a bottle. Coke would do like 98 cents a bottle. And mm-hmm. then you'd see, you know what I'm saying? So you yeah. don't need a ton of people. So portability across state lines, even if you introduce one more competitor into a market, can do a lot to bring down prices. Third cash equivalent. Uh, all right. So number one is full tax credit for charity for doctors and hospitals. Two, full portability across state lines. Number three. Um, a cash equivalent voucher for the poor. Right now, we don't have that. We have a third-party payer system, which I covered a little bit in the beginning of the show. Right now, you have a system where, let me be crystal clear on what I mean by this. You, the taxpayer, pay money to the United States Treasury. The United States Treasury then in turn takes that money and pays the doctors and hospitals. They are the third party. Who are the first two parties? You mm-hmm. going to the doctor and the doctor providing the services to you. You go to the doctor for a sore throat and you're on Medicaid. You don't pay. The third party pays the government. Folks, if you've listened to all, what are we, 489, Joe? 489 episodes of the Dan Bongino show and what was later called and now called the Renegade Republican, you will see that 
almost every economic problem in our society you can pin down is due to some third party payer effect. And that third party payer is typically the government. When third party payers get involved and pay bills for people rather than the people paying themselves, I, I know what you're thinking too. A lot of you think, well, what about private? I'll get that in a second. But when a third party payer, the government takes over, you will always see explosive cost growth because, again, I just described it. People pay their money into the treasury and they think, well, I already paid. I want some of that money back. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go to the doctor. And it was interesting because I got an email last week about this and he didn't give me permission to use his name. So I'm not going to do it. But it was a great email. And, uh, was he an ophthalmologist or a eye doctor? I'm not sure what he, I'm sorry. I, I can't remember the exact details, but if you wrote it, you know who you you know who you are. And he said that the, he was given an example of this person that came in for this service that really he thought was kind of unnecessary, but the person would come in all the time for the service because why, Joe? It was covered by our government plan. Right. And he's like, listen, I'm, I'm the doctor here. I can tell you right now that the, it, it's not made up the problem, but it was not an, it was not necessary to seek medical treatment for this once a month. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. But because it was a third party payer, it was like, oh, let's just go. I mean, I already paid in my taxpayer dollars, so I might as well do it. So point is, solution number three, if we had a cash equivalent voucher for people who are lower income and we said, here's the market value of an insurance plan right now, let's say it's $5,000 a year. I- I'm not giving you exact numbers, obviously, we're just trying to make it easy. Say it was 5000 a year. That's the market value for an average insurance plan in whatever state it may be in New York. You could say to people who are lower income, we will give you a cash equivalent voucher for $5,000. If you choose to buy a Cadillac plan, Joe, that has everything, you know, it covers hair transplants, vasectomies, eyeglass care, whatever, contact lenses, gym memberships, that's great. But if that plan costs $7,000, the other $2,000 is on you. Or say you choose to go with a lower end plan, super high deductible, only covers catastrophic care. We'll let you keep the change. Now, I get it. Many of you right now are probably saying, dude, I thought you were a conservatarian. Now you're talking about letting people keep taxpayer money. Folks, in contrast to what? It, in contrast to what we have now, which is the third party payer system where taxpayers are paying anything all the time for everyone. <laughs> we have to start somewhere. And a nice way to do it would be to do an income-related subsidy. By the way, here's my change, though. This is where the wrinkle comes in with me. These things have to be phased out over time. No one should be allowed access unless you're completely indigent, handicapped, or a child. You have no way of earning money. If you are a healthy, working-age human being, man or woman, you should not be given unlimited access to Medicaid and government benefits. And this nonsense that, oh, my gosh, what are we going to let people die in the streets? Stop. Just stop. You're just making that up, okay? It is already illegal to not serve people in an emergency room in America. You didn't know that? Yeah. If you're on Medicaid for five years and you're an able-bodied working adult and you choose not to get a job and get insurance, that's on you. So the difference with my the Dan Bongino plan is, again, tax credits, portability. Number three, you give poor people at a certain income level a cash equivalent voucher. They keep the change if they buy something cheaper. Now, why would we do that? We would do that to incentivize them, Joe, to do what? To shop for pricing, to shop around. Because if you give them a $5,000 voucher and you say to them, you you have to buy $5,000 worth of insurance with this voucher, well, what are they going to do? 
They're going to buy $5,000 worth of insurance. What you want to do is give them a cash equivalent voucher where they'll actually do some price shopping, which will do what, Joe? It'll force the insurance companies to offer a cheaper product, which will then spill over into the general market as well. Make sense? That's the reason we do that. And I know it doesn't sound great, folks. And I know off off the top of your heads, many of you are like, that's insane to let people keep the change. If you limit it to, say, five years or even three years, able bodied working adults, then you will see this cost curve come down automatically. Because even in the market, you're wiping out the third party payer, Joe. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The gov- well, you're not totally, yeah. I mean, the government's still giving a cash equivalent voucher. But right. the point I'm trying to make is you are now paying for insurance. Now, you may say, well, is an insurance company a third party payer? No, because you're not buying health care, you're buying insurance. Remember, even with health care now, in my system now, like I had. I had a procedure done not that long ago. I, I can't say what, but I had I've had some real significant health issues, man. Over I haven't addressed, but it, it there's been some stuff that's gone on with me. I had to pay for one of these procedures in cash. It cost me seventeen hundred and fifty bucks. It was not covered by insurance. But it was interesting because you know, remember, I'm not buying medicine. I was buying insurance. I never expected that in my plan. You know what I'm saying, Joe? Like mm-hmm. this was I was buying insurance if God forbid I were to come down with cancer or have a massive heart attack. You know, I was not buying an oil change. I was buying car insurance if my car got in a wreck. Mm-hmm. So yes, insurance companies are third party payers, but you're paying for a service. It's not a third party payer when they're paying for actual health care because you still have to buy health care in some respects. You're just insuring against the catastrophic event. I know that's kind of hard to understand, but a third party mm-hmm. payer system in the government is an exclusive thing. It, it, when you pay, when you're, the government has a monopoly on force. When the government takes over the payment of your health care and you have no other option, like when you're in Medicare and you're uh, 65 or older, they have full monopoly control over this. They have nobody to compete against. This is maybe a better way to say it, Joe. And sh- even when you're buying the service in the private insurance arena, Joe, mm-hmm. there's still competitors. Now, I ask you this. Who's the competitor for Social Security? Who's the competitor for Medicare? There are none. There are Medicare supplements, but there are none. So that's probably a better way to say it, make it a little more. uh, You're buying one a service. You're not buying health care. And number two, there are no competitors to government. So you give them a cash equivalent voucher and you make people, you say to them, oh, keep the change. If you do it and you limit it to a few years, you'll see all of a sudden people are going to get really cost cost conscious. And that's what we need. Mm All right, here's one more thing. Lifelong uh, tax-free HSAs. This would be, I think this is a terrific idea. You know, I read, and and forgive me, I think it was a Friedman book, and the book was dated. I think it was Capitalism and Freedom. So the book is, the data is not exactly up to date. The book was written decades ago, but it's still a great book by uh, Milton Friedman. And he talks about underspending uh, as a as a, uh, a country on education and on healthcare. So the the United States does not spend, and we're not talking about taxpayer money, Joe. I'm talking about the people, the the citizens of the United States, that we tend to underspend on education and healthcare. And I remember never letting that 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 point get away from me. In contrary to the assertion where people say, "Oh, we spend too much on healthcare," there are maybe we spend inefficiently but we should be taking better care of ourselves throughout our lives so one of the ways to encourage and incentivize people to ensure proper health care throughout their lives uh, you know and it you know other words um things like you know regular checkups so, so if you could check for prediabetes because if you mm-hmm. catch prediabetes soon enough and you lose weight Joe, you're literally saving yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars of ins- insulin injections over your entire life so right. think of it as joe as an investment in your health care that's going mm-hmm. to save you from catastrophic costs later we don't do enough of that what we wind up doing is we spend too much money 
on aftercare later on problems that could have been prevented, right? Heart disease, Mm -hmm. diabetes, things where if we just would have lost weight and gotten on a treadmill, we would have been fine. So one of the ways to incentivize that is lifelong uh, tax-free HSAs. You can set them up for your kids when they're born because obviously they can't do that themselves. They're not going to be financially secure enough until they're um, 18 or you know 21 or gosh, with the nanny state society now, 51, whatever, who knows. <laughs> but it would be nice to be able to set up an account for my daughter where all of the money I put in there, all of it is completely uh, taken off my tax bill. So if I want to put say ten, fifteen thousand dollars and you know you could put a reasonable cap on it. You don't want people hiding, you know, because you know what'll happen. Some investment vehicle will do a you know forty trillion dollar health care. Yeah. I'm not gonna spend that much, but you can put a reasonable cap on it. But that money is uh either tax deductible or is a tax credit for the parent. And that money can be spent uh tax free uh, as well later. It's never taxed. Now again, I know the liberals will go crazy because they think the government should get their mitts on every dollar of your money. But it would be fascinating if you had a you know a thirty forty fifty thousand dollar account by the time you were twenty one years old, and note that money could be used for a cash payment for any medical procedure, and you may not need insurance at all at that point, Joe. I mean that may be enough thirty forty thousand mm-hmm. to cover you for some acute catastrophic event. So it's just another idea there, and I, I like to give solutions and not just problems. What'd you think, Joe? We, we yeah. wrapped that up pretty good. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, because yeah, a guy, uh, an email, uh, a listener complained. He said, listen, you didn't say what you you know we should do. You just said what the problems were. It's fair enough. I appreciate that criticism. I do read your emails, folks. And by the way, for the, I know we're having problems with the show notes. I'm going to try to get the show notes up today at Bongino.com too. It'll be a simple tab, show notes. But please, you can still go to Conservative Review. Um, it's under the podcast tab. I know they're a little difficult to find. We're working on it. But uh, I'm going to try to get them up today. Um, at Bongino.com too, until we can figure out a, a better system. I, I get a <laughs> lot of complaints about trying to find um, the show notes, which I just I link articles in there. Hey, today's show is also also brought to you by our buddies at My Patriot Supply. Big fan of these guys. Uh, you know, being a Secret Service agent, former Secret Service agent, I'm really into preparedness. I know that drives that one guy nuts. He says, "We get it. You worked at the Secret Service, but it's an it's a part of who I am, and it really lends to my preparedness as well. I like to keep some cash. I like to keep." you know, uh, a couple of uh, my firearms in the house. I mean, for safety reasons, you know, I'm not John J. Rambo folks, but you know, it, it, it pays to be prepared. But one of the things you should have, it's crazy not to insure your food supply. You got to have an insurance, uh, a food supply insurance. It's just crazy not to. You insure your healthcare. We just talked about all this. You insure your car, your home, everything that matters to you. Think about everything going on right now. I had an interesting email a couple of weeks ago. A guy said there was a tornado threat in his neighborhood. There was no food left on the shelves. Mm. A month's supply of emergency food is an absolute necessity. This will only cost you, with our friends at My Patriot Supply, 99 bucks. Think about that. Think about the mental security. $99 for a 25-year supply. Excuse me. It's not a 25-year supply. It's a month supply good for 25 yeah. years. That would be a lot of food. Can you That'd imagine be a lot that? of food. Yeah, a month supply, which is the minimum you should have. It's good for 25 years. I'll be long dead before it expires. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, easy to prepare. All you need is water. It's available at, pause, dramatic pause, preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com. <laughs> Go pick it up today, a month's supply of emergency food. And thanks to everybody who uh, takes care of our sponsors. I really appreciate it. Keeps the show free for everyone out there. Okay, uh, a couple other stories I saw, which I found uh, mildly amusing, and I know I shouldn't. It's not a Christian thing to do. But I saw a story this weekend, which you you got to bring up because it just harkens back to one of my favorite topics, which is Bernie Sanders. Did you see Hmm. this one, Joe? Hmm, Which one? The Sanders story. 
Uh, yeah, Ber- bank fraud Bernie. So uh, Bernie oh, Sanders, see it. Mm. yeah, unlike the Trump family, is actually under FBI investigation. Now, I had hinted oh. at this a little while ago. Bernie's wife, uh, Jane, was the president of a college called Burlington College in Vermont. She was uh, now they needed a loan for a campus expansion and the allegations. I'm going to be clear on that because I do want to be fair. Unlike the left, the uh, left wing media is to Trump with the Trump Russia X-Files story. Um, the allegations are that uh, Miss Sanders, Bernie's wife, was trying to get a loan from the bank for a campus expansion. She inflated the value of her donor base, basically engaged in a form of financial fraud. That's the allegation. And a corresponding allegation against Bernie is that Bernie, as a senator, may have pressured the bank to give her the loan. The college is now defunct, Joe. Um, this is kind of a big deal. OK, this is a very big. Deal. Yeah. Uh, this is really bad. So this is an active FBI investigation right now. And I just thought I'd bring this up not to pile on Bernie. You know, it's kind of a kind of a jerk thing to do. But I just find it interesting that this is a guy who talks frequently about income inequality, yet has owns two homes, has purchased three. Uh, these are very expensive homes. He he drives around in expensive cars. He lives an expensive lifestyle, got a really huge book deal. And now his wife and him are being accused of bank fraud for bilking investors and an, uh, and, and a bank out of potential money. I mean, I just think that's a little interesting. While yeah. you're investing, or the media insists that Trump is being investigated, even when Trump is not being investigated and refuses to let that go. So again, you won't see that on the news. Um, that Bernie's out there doing his thing. Uh, but uh, that story's out there. I'll put that link in the show notes to that story. You can check that out. All right. Uh, another story. By the way, the Supreme Court today, just so you know, for daily news updates, the two big cases we should hear something on today, the Trump 90-day travel ban. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court allows partial enforcement of Trump travel. Okay, just now. That's great. All right. So they will review the travel ban, and the Supreme Court will allow portions of it to go ahead the 90-day travel ban by trump so that's interesting we also have the school the case that could relate to school vouchers there was a case in uh was it missouri where a christian school applied for a state grant for a playground joe to have like a safe surface put on a playground right and they were denied because in that that state had they don't have it anymore rule that no state money could go to a religious institution and the, the religious institution sued, saying, listen, this is for a secular purpose. It's a playground. It's not for religious education. And this is discrimination. So this is an important case, folks. I know you may say, like, well, who cares about a playground surface in Missouri? Well, it's a big deal because if that law, which doesn't exist anymore, but is nationwide in the Supreme Court, is struck down and declared unconstitutional, then it really opens the doors for a lot of charter schools to get money uh, or and also for a lot of uh, parochial a lot of religious institution affiliated schools, Catholic schools and otherwise, to mm-hmm. get money from the state if parents choose to go there in a school choice program. So it's really important. Oh, all right. Oh, the Bank of International Settlements thing. I'm sorry, I'm going to get through because I really these are really important stories I want you to hear about. So I brought this up at the beginning of the show in the Birch Gold ad, mm-hmm. but uh, and it it really a it fit perfectly because I'm really terrified about inflation. But the Bank for International Settlements, which is like a bank for international banks. They're putting out a warning. It's up on Drudge today, and they're saying, hey, folks, there's a lot of money sitting out there, and they're using a number, the credit to GDP uh, indicator, which is basically how much debt the world has compared to the growth levels. 
mm-hmm. and they're worried. They're worried about the amount of debt because the amount of debt is the amount of uh, talking about government debt is the amount of money that's been created. For government to create debt, government has to print money and go buy stuff. That's how government debt basically works. I mean, if you you know when you buy a government bond and the government pays you back for the bond, they're basically printing money to give you that back, especially mm-hmm. when they're when they're running in the red as often as our government is. So they're saying, hey, there's a lot of debt out there. The problem with that is that money that's been created doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't get burned. So when the government creates money to buy its own assets, like has happened all over the world with quantitative easing, so the government issues a government bond, Joe, Mm -hmm. and then the Federal Reserve, which is a government, quasi-government bank, supposed to be independent, but it's not, prints money to buy a government asset, the taxpayer's on the hook. That printed money still exists. You can't just burn it later on. So what they're worried about is all this money is going to start seeping into the economy and eventually to dry that money supply up to prevent more money from chasing fewer products. You know, I always give you the example of a chair. If there's $100 in, a, in, a, in an island and there's 100 chairs, then each chair can basically fetch a dollar using simple numbers. If you print another $100 and throw it on the island through a helicopter and you drop it down, each chair can now fetch $2. That's the, the, an extremely simplistic way of looking at inflation, right, Joe? Mm-hmm. So the way you dry up that money supply is international banks and uh, central banks typically raise interest rates. Raising interest rates makes loans harder to get because it costs more money. If, an, if a loan is 5% per year, Joe, and then they double it to 10%, that mm-hmm. loan is going to be a lot more expensive for you. And a lot of people aren't going to take loans, which is going to lead to a drying up of money into the economy, which will pull some of that 100 extra helicopter money off mm-hmm. the island out of circulation. Okay, in effect, kind of keeping it in, in, in storage until the economy can catch up. So what the, the, the gist of the story is that the Bank of International Settlements is worried that we have so much debt out there that we're going to have to raise interest rates significantly to dry up that money. And once those interest rates go up high enough, if the interest rates are higher than the growth rates in the economy, we're going to have a big problem. So you may have some kind of a world recession soon. I, I'm not trying to be Captain Apocalypse here, but it is something you need to worry about. You know, we have to make sure our growth rates are high enough that they supersede a lot of our interest rates. We don't want interest rates that, you know, like they were in the 80s for a mortgage. What was it 12% for some mortgages back in the 80s? It yeah. was horrible. And then all of a sudden, growth rates in the economy are only 2 and 3%. If that, we'll get, you know, the economy will be smothered. So just something to worry about there with inflation coming ahead. That if the, if the inflation numbers really spike, we're going to be in big trouble. Hey, one more story. And uh, I want to get to an. Maybe in detail tomorrow, some other stuff about this backfiring Trump-Russia thing, which is really blown up in their face. <laughs> CNN is in crisis right now for more fake news. CNN's had a big fake news problem, but I don't know if you saw this story, Joe. They, uh, they ran a story that Anthony Scaramucci, an advisor to Trump, and uh, Steve Schwarzman were under investigation by the Senate Intelligence Committee mm-hmm. and the Treasury for their dealings with a Russian investment firm. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, we finally got it, the smoking gun. Well, it turned out the story was totally false. It's completely made up. And the allegation is that Democratic senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, Democratic senator from California. The allegation is that which hasn't been denied, by the way, by Warren's staff, at least, is that they leaked this story to CNN. The problem, Joe, is that the story is completely false and sources within the Senate Intelligence Committee have said, quote, the story is without merit at all. So CNN had to completely retract the story and apologize to Scaramucci. And they're in a world of trouble right now, folks, because now they're starting to realize that their credibility is on the line because of the Trump-Russia fairy tale blowing up in their faces. And with that, 
and the New York Times being called out by Jim Comey at the hearing for getting the Trump-Russia story completely wrong. I want to leave you with this point for the day. Folks, be very, very careful. Whatever you read from the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, and MSNBC, they are letting their editorial standards lapse in favor of advancing the X-Files Trump-Russia story, and they're starting to admit now that a lot of what they told you was completely wrong. They had to retract the story in a very embarrassing moment. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.